Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Small Talk No More. I'm Alex, and this week I had the pleasure of talking to Tom Willis from Lateral Management. Again, this week we completely ignored the script and the agenda that we had for the interview, and we had a very honest and straightforward conversation. So enjoy. So let me let me ask you um, also about um, you know your role in Lateral and stuff. So how how do you end up? Um, so I'm the general manager at Lateral. I started there as an artist manager. My sort of route into music was, um, you know, it was via a friend, actually. So I, I did music at university, music college, went to a master's in music. It was all very like music education. And inevitably throughout that okay. sort of process, you meet people um, that all go on to do various different roles and things and, you know, you know, within the music industry in some senses, in the in, in the typical term that we know it, or... You know, they might go off and play with orchestras, you know, peripatetic tuition, wherever they go. But one of my um, close friends actually had basically moved to London to to make it in music, if you like. And his first single, you know, it's, it, you know, especially as music students, you're like, okay, go on then, mate. You know, you go to London and make it big. You know, well, let, let, let us know how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ironically, his first single went to number one. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, so it you know it worked, <laughs> and um, and then that was with a band called Rudimental. So the artist was a guy called John Newman, and the song was "Feel oh, the Love." Awesome. Um, and that was the band called Rudimental. And then his follow-up solo single, "Love Me Again," which I think probably most people will know or have heard, course, probably yeah. globally, uh, that was also a number one single as well. So he sort of had this really you know stratospheric rise really early on needed to grow the team that he had around him obviously we were very close I'm very sort of OCD organizational sort of the, the you know the, the typical managerial facets I guess um you know yeah. and he had a manager at the time a really great manager called Paul McDonald who also manages James Bage or Jezra you know he's a very you know he specializes in male solo artists really that's not all he does but you know he, he's he's cracked the formula in that space mm. and um and Paul basically rang me and said, we need somebody in the team. John would really like it to be you. You know, John had asked me about it before and I sort of was like, yeah, you know, it sounds like a little bit of a, you know, come down and see how it goes. At the time, I was on like a graduate trainee program for some sort of corporate role. So I was looking at a career trajectory. Um, so I'd been sort of like palming it off. And then Paul rang me and said, we really need somebody. John would like it to be you. Mm. It is a real job. Um, so, you know, don't, 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 don't worry about that. And And sort of that was... That was my entry into the the industry. Really, just started working with John. You know, we'd known each other for a long time, and and that's super important. Actually, having that you know relationship, not necessarily having the history with somebody, but being able to have a very good uh, informal relationship, personal relationship with somebody. Um, yeah. When you do what we do, because it can be so stressful, it can be so sort of like arduous, and there's a lot, you know, that you get put through emotionally um creatively and you need somebody who you can be very open and honest and relaxed around to actually help navigate that space i think mm. um so yes yeah, so that was my route in I, I worked with john sort of worked my way up to doing more of a day-to-day -day management role for him um and then mm. after a while because i was always out of house or freelance or whatever the, the terminology is i was working directly with john paul always had his his management company but management companies as i now know are very tight ships financially it's a very up and down business so you can't just sort of bring people in on salaries here and there there has to be a real structure around it 
Um, but after a while, I really wanted to be in-house and there wasn't the space at Closer. Mm. So I moved across to Lateral when I found the job. And then I took on Labyrinth and Joseph Salvat, who's, um, a, I guess, a less well-known artist, but a fantastic sort of, you know, very creative guy who's really challenged me in lots of different spaces. And then Lab was the very sort of commercially known, um, larger yeah. scale project, I guess. So it's a really good sort of um, two sides to the coin, really. Yeah, it was it was a really, really good sort of exposure in both spaces, doing like very heavily, because Lab is very self-contained, you know. Lab will deliver you the music when it's good and ready, whereas Joseph, there's a lot of A&R there, there's a lot of creative process that's that's required. So it was a really good balance. And then after about four years at Lateral, I'd been helping out, again, you know, that OCD thing coming into play. I love a spreadsheet. I love doing finance things as well. Um, so I'd been doing a lot of that. And then as our general manager left, I'd been sort of doing like an operational management role for the company as well as the artist stuff. Mm. And then when the general manager left, it sort of became the natural progression for me. So that's only that's been yeah. since March of this year. So I guess for all intents and purposes. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was yeah. Mar- March, which was a... Uh, Baptism of fire. Um, you know, you you start the year with a, a forecast on finance, and you have an idea of where you're going and what you're doing. And then, obviously, come COVID, financial crisis, all the lives off the table. You've got to reforecast an entire year, replan everything, really go back to the basics. You know, tighten the purse strings and work out right how are we going to get through this. Um, so it was yeah. a real sort of challenge to start with, but that, that was, uh, March, March this year. And I think I finally got my feet under the table. Finally, um, seeing wow, the wood you had the a trees. fucking challenge there. Like, yeah, it was a, a new it was position. A with, wow. Yeah, wow. it was, well done, man. it was good. Thank you. But, um, yeah, so I guess, so I, so I run the company essentially, you know, the finance looking after everybody. And then we have, um, a managing director and the owner of the company who sort of, are the two key players but they have a more you know they're, they're stepped back a little bit you know they've got a more sort of strategic overseeing role they're looking at you know the business on a on a, on a wider scale where can we navigate yeah. the company what can we do my job is very much making sure everyone gets paid making sure all the clients are happy making sure that you know the company is traveling in the right direction making sure that you know we're, we're, we're running a tight ship so there's a sort of a, a distinct difference there. yeah so um, let me ask you something um, about, you know, obviously the, the whole pandemic and now going, we, we're on a second lockdown as well. So um, what, what has been a key challenge? Because obviously, you know, the roster you guys have, I'm guessing that there, there will be a lot of work done and, you know, there will be a lot of stuff in the pipeline that is ready. Mm. But I also guess that everyone's been affected by what's going on. So what has been a, a you know, the biggest challenge, obviously, apart from, life I, I, I i'm looking more into what's not obvious like what has been a really difficult challenge well i and, think you know how yeah i i i think it's probably more because you say live you know that's the obvious one no one can go and yeah. do any live shows but i think outside of that you know there's there's, there's a huge restriction just on on general business that that, that this has so for example Joseph Salva, I'll use as an example, um, is, you know, we look after, as lateral, we've got some, you know, big clients. We've got Paloma, we've got Labyrinth, we've got, you know, people who are very much established artists, you know, however many million monthlies, they're, you know, they're household names, some of them. 
Joseph isn't there quite yet, you know, and I, and I do believe he will be, but we're, we're still very much on the sort of upward trajectory with him. So there's a lot of foundation work to be done. And typically, you know, as, a, as, a, as an artist that's doing that foundation work, that's building their profile, who's trying to get from that stage to the next stage. Hey, they're doing some building work outside the hotel that I'm in. And uh, they're, they're using some explosives, believe it or not. So every so often there's a huge... Are you serious? Yeah, every so often there's a huge... I'm in Manchester at the minute. But every so often there's a huge bang outside and the dog goes mental. So if that's what happens, then uh, don't panic. It's, it is actually some builders. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so if you go from... you know when, when you're trying to get to that next level, there's a huge amount of foundation rate that you have to put in. And that's the promo, you know, visiting radio stations, going into regional radio stations, BBC, for example, you've got BBC Leeds, you've got BBC Brighton, you've got all yeah. of these different places around the, the country that, you know, you have to physically go to often, you know, you can do phone in interviews and stuff, which obviously, you know, as, as, as you know, this is what the norm is now, Zoom calls, Google Hangouts, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, yeah. But he had an album come out uh, on May the 15th this year. There'd been a four-year four gap between his first and second album. Been desperate to get this album finished. Been desperate to get it out. Been a bit of a slow process for you know various factors outside of his control. So come May 2020, um, we end up in a situation where it's been a long time since his album came out. To push it back any further didn't feel like the right thing to do. But suddenly we're in a global pandemic with no opportunity to go and actually work this record. So outside, you know, so outside of, you know, the obvious things like live, being able to go and do press interviews, being able to turn on to radio stations, mm. being able to attend events. You know, if you think about the amount of events yeah. that happen in London, places where there's PAPs, places where there's opportunities to be seen, to network, it's a huge part of the music industry and it's a huge part of what we do. And actually all of that has gone, you know, outside of just the obvious things like live, where you're obviously cramming 2,000 people into a room all of the yeah. smaller ground level things that actually help build a profile, help get you seen, help get you noticed, help, you know, meet somebody at an event that might bring you onto a podcast or, you know, there's a presenter there that can sort of, you know, put a word in for you at a radio station, all of those, you know, grassroots level things you can't do right now. Mm. So actually, you know, I think the artists who typically do quite well on live typically quite tend to be established artists you know, there's a chunk of yeah. their revenue stream which has disappeared right now. But, you know, I think a lot of those level artists are, are going to be fine because they've got other streams. It's really the guys at the sort of the mid to lower levels of, of their career in, well, in terms of progression or, you know, the stage that they're at that are really struggling because they just, they can't mm. get the time, can't get the events, can't, can't do the things that they need to do to help get them to the next, the next tier. Yeah. No, I guess that's a actually a really good point. Um, you know, because we've all been talking about life and you know the 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 danger of you know getting venues closed. Uh, but there's that other side of mm. things that you know. I guess that from the outside, it's really easy to say, oh, you know, carry on doing social media, or oh, carry on, you know, doing live stream or mm. whatever it is. But then there's that other, you know, quiet side of promotion. Exactly. That, yeah. You know, you kind of really keep doing. So I guess it's a really, really good point. Uh, let me ask you something about uh, Joseph. What other sort of tick boxes that someone needs to, uh, or, or not someone, but an opportunity, an other person to work with has to tick in order to kind of support that development? 
like from that point of view of developing an artist, what are the tick boxes that someone else has to tick in yeah. order to kind of join forces to push him up? I think, you know, that's, um, that's a really good question. I think, you know, there's, it's very multifaceted, I think. Um, and I think mm. you can usually, you know, the, the, the classic example is if you have like a feature record, right? So you've got, you know, if you, let's use Calvin Harris, cause he's a great example. He has yeah. lots of different features on his records. Typically, Calvin will only do the Sam Smiths of the world, you know, whoever it is, Ellie Gold, you know, he has a certain level. But there's a load of different artists out there or producer, you know, DJs or what have you, who I'm really using that, that space because it's a good example, who have feature records with artists who aren't particularly well known at that point but that will really carry mm. them to the next space, which is, I guess, you know, what, what the tick boxes you need to achieve that. I mean, a good example, Tom Grennan is an artist who's really doing things at the moment. You know, for me, yeah. he first came onto my radar via Chasing Status. So that, that song that they had together, love that record, mm. became aware of him as an artist. And then obviously that was a great profile thing for him and it grows. So I guess, that, you know, for me, when you're saying that, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, what do you need to do to get those collaborations in? What are those check boxes to get that? And I guess there can be many, um, and it's all about, you know, if you're a salesman, you focus on what's good about your product, right? You know, if there's, if there's something wrong with it, that's, not, that's yeah. not the bit that you're going to bring into your pitch, you know, and there's always going to be areas of an artist's profile or whatever that are stronger than others. So I guess you can always play on those. Joseph, for example, you know, if you use social media, that's always a, a metric that people will look at inevitably, whether you're a brand or whatever, people mm. want to see what, what, you know, what you're doing on there, what's your following like, what's your platform size. Joseph, for example, again, because of that sort of four-year hiatus between first and second record, he sort of came on the scene pre-social media being a really big thing and has sort of yeah. re-emerged post it becoming a really big thing. So there's been sort of this little gap where he hasn't really been there so his social media platform and following is quite small having said that his engagement rate is probably about 40 percent, which is incredibly wow. high yeah you know i think i'm not sure if it's the same for instagram but i know that for example on his sort of like mailers on his sony crm stuff you know you, you can get open rates how many mm. people are opening your, your 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 fan mail or whatever his, his engagement rates are always incredibly high so actually the conversion rate, if you, you know, if you imagine someone's got a million followers, but 1% of those actually engage with their content or actually engage with their output mm. versus you could have 20,000, but if 20% are engaging with your output, you're on par, you know, in terms of like what your actual real organic reach is. Mm. So, you know, for Joseph, I would always go in with that. I'd always go in with his engagement rate is incredibly high. Don't look at his numbers, look at what his real organic reach is. You know, what can he do? Um, so, I mean, that, that's always one factor. A second factor, I think, is always just credibility. You know, what um, you don't have to have a huge following. You don't have to have a huge numbers, I think. But if what you're doing is credible and very you know, it's it's not pastiche of something else. It doesn't look like you're, you know, the next version of something that's been before. There's a, there's a unique element to it. You know, that's what we're all looking for. That's always a factor. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about the sales pitch, really. I think, you know, you can probably, let's speak, you know, there's things happened with you know, there's features I've seen or whatever. You think, how on earth did they get that? But there was clearly some sort of synergy there. I think it's always really yeah. important for, and this is just, I guess, because of the roster that we have, 
for the artist to be involved with the writing of what they do. You know, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, there's the sort of the stereotypical pop acts that are like the vehicles for they get given a tune, told to sing it, you know, and this is the dance routine and they just go out and deliver that, you know. I think okay. oftentimes some of the great collaborations you see come from when someone's, you know, been part of a session, an artist can be part of a session with a couple of different songwriters, something really genuinely great comes out of it. That then, you know, that then goes pitched via an A&R to, you know, a larger act or whatever. They hear it, they love the record and that artist's vocal's already on there. You know, by having great original material that you've been part of the process of that gets out into the industry, people think, you know what, I love this guy's voice, let's give him a shot. There's a, there's a mm. few different ways. I guess it's just about finding finding the strength in your profile and then taking advantage yeah. of that and, and, and using that as your sort of the spearhead to get into whichever camp or area you want to try and get into. Mm. So do you still get a lot of no's? Like, how do you deal with rejection when you're trying to build? All the time. More more, more no's than yeses. Like, I, I say the yeses are the rarities. Yeah. Like, you know, because you're always trying, you know, you're always trying for opportunities and that can be, you know, for example, again, you know, I, I use the writing example because of, you know, who we work with, but you might write a great record and your publisher manages to get it synced with a branding, you know, with a, with a, with a great brand deal or whatever, the next TV campaign for what have you. Those things are like the holy grails because, you know, if you get if you get a great TV slot or a great ad sync, that's just going to do the artist profile, the song profile, you know, uh, uh, wonders in terms of exposure and growth. So, you know, you're always going for these things. That's, that's what we do as managers. We're constantly trying to find opportunities. Yeah. And, you know, if everybody that we went to said yes, I don't think any of us would, you know, it would be, a, it'd be an easy job. Yeah. Um, so, so I'd say the no's are, are, are probably daily and the yeses are few and far between. So I guess you get desensitized to the no's. There isn't, there isn't a coping mechanism because it's sort of the, the norm, I guess. Yeah. And um, you mentioned... It sounds, it, sounds, it sounds a bit pessimistic, by the way, but it's not. No, you know? I, I guess that's what makes <laughs> it's, it... You know, it's the challenge yeah. and the wins are more exciting. I guess that, yeah, exactly. It makes the job exciting um, because, you know, I guess the, the challenge is what makes you grow. And I think that's... Um, the cool part of it. Uh, let me ask you one last question about Joseph just before we move on. So you mentioned that we're four, there was a four-year gap between album one and two. Mm-hmm. What sort mm-hmm. of thing was being done during those four years? Because I'm, I'm guessing that there was a lot of behind-the-scenes work being done, you know, um, collaborations or features. And mm-hmm. So what sort of thing um, was it done for an artist like that um, that, you know, still in growth stage and it has such a big gap between album one and two i guess um a couple of things so you know in fairness one or two of the years for joseph he took out so i think that's important as well for for for, you know writers and producers because um not sorry writers and producers for for artists who are writing and 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 part of producing their own record because it's such a Mm. a long process you know if you for an album to come through um you know the mill in its polished form that's 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 probably a you know a, a year two year process maybe more you know in some cases yeah so it's 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 a, it's a long process and then once it's there you've then got to release promote you know in an ideal world then tour a record that cycle sort of start to finish from beginning of the album to mm. actually you know completing the album cycle having released it promoted it toured it all the rest of it you know, you can be talking two, three years 
you know, and, and, and then some. So I think it's quite important for people to, you know, it's not like you, you stop thinking about it on the weekend. I think sometimes it can feel like you've just worked solidly for two or three years and then it's quite important to take a bit of time out. So Joseph had a really successful first album in terms of a debut album internationally. He's, he's much better known in Europe than he is in the UK. Um, so he took a year or so out for that. But then I guess the rest of the period was starting that process again, you know, going back to the drawing board with, you know, writing, mm. songwriting, production, trying different things out. You know, he, he's got a bit of a unique story with his. So we've, we've just got him out of um, a major label deal with Sony and he's now on an independent for his next releases, which are coming in uh, next month. So, um, yeah, he's had a bit of a unique story, but I guess that, there's also part of the major label thing, you know, you've got an A and R label, there's a there's a big there's a big team there, you know, less people are, are working in those those major label structures because they are bigger beasts, they're bigger cogs to turn. Yeah. It takes a little bit of a, a a minute to get to get somewhere sometimes. And um trying to be diplomatic. And <laughs> <laughs> and um and uh, you know, he 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 was part of that process for you know two or three years. You know, he was doing the typical going to LA writing trips, doing the rounds of different writers. There's this sort of like, you know, what do you call it? Speed dating. You know, this yeah. sort of like carousel speed dating world in in songwriting sometimes, where you get thrown into a studio for a day with somebody you've never met before and expect to deliver gold. You know, mm. <laughs> it's sort of uh, it's you know it's, it's 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 a it's an odd process at times. So he was very much. I wouldn't say a victim of that, but sort of wrapped up in that that world for sort of at least two two and a bit years, you know, of that period of, you know, doing the LA writing trips, trying, you know, the the speed dating with lots of different songwriters, doing sessions here, and also honing a sound. I think I always think until you've got your area boxed off mm -hmm. and i think one thing that we always try and do with our clients and you know that you know, paloma has nailed it labyrinth is there mm -hmm. now um you know you've, you've got to try and work out what what is the dna of the artist what is it that people know you for love you for but also feels true and authentic to mm -hmm. you and actually trying to work out what that is takes a minute and it's in because it's just a huge amount of trial and error um and I think, you know, it doesn't stop with the song. You know, I've got, so we've got, at the minute, we've got an EP coming in the next sort of, you know, it's going to be released gradually between now and I think February. And we've always already got the third album ready to go from next year. Because my thing with Joseph, right, has been consistency, constant output, consistent output, engaging output, you know, growing mm. and building your your base. But I've got songs that I've probably got three four different versions of the same record same song but they just they're completely yeah. different completely different and it takes a few of those to go no i love that record but i just don't like it like this i mm. don't know it just hasn't gone the right way mm, this is interesting but doesn't you know it's not it's not in the pocket for us yet and then eventually you'll get the song back from a different producer they've hit the nail on the head it sounds like nothing you've ever heard before, you know, and that, that record is just completely reimagined. And then you're like, this is it. You know, this is what we've found the next step. So I think most of that time for him, a couple of a year and a half of it was a bit of time out, but then the rest of that was more, you know, the, the sort of the creative inception, which is why it takes so 
so much sort of uh, drive yeah. to keep going, I think, because it's, you know, sometimes it's a never ending road and then eventually all of a sudden you'll, you'll, you'll hit the end of it and you'll be like, okay, we've arrived and this, you know, everything has come together all of a sudden. Okay. And then I um, wanted to find out about in terms of managing expectations, I guess, because, you know, once the album's there and not, not just that, but also in terms of like getting collaborations and, you know, guessing as well, brand partnerships, you might want that the artist is the face of a particular brand or a particular product to be, you know, to have the face on billboards around there, not just because of the music, but, you know, be related to a certain product. So um, I'd like to understand from your point of view, how to manage expectations um, with the artist. So in terms of like, you know, you said that you get no's all the time, and I guess that is a constant hassle. So how how do you do that like what has has it ever happened to you that you said we're going to go in this direction and then you don't really manage to fulfill that and how do you manage the expectations of the artist i think um yeah i mean expectation management is is a skill that i think anybody and everybody needs in day-to-day life in a management role mm. you know i think Outside of music management, you know, if you think about corporate management, team management, expectation management is is always a key part of that. And I think it's just how you frame that. So, for example, I think it's about setting targets and making sure that those targets feel aspirational, um, but also achievable and being realistic about those targets. You know, so, for example you know we've got labyrinth is on 20 million monthly listeners on spotify at the yeah. moment which is obviously amazing um paloma for example is on three and a half i think at the moment we look after ella air who's on about six million joseph in comparison at the moment as of today i think give or take a couple of tens of thousands is on about six hundred and twenty thousand monthly listeners mm-hmm. so we've got a little way to go but for me i would be saying in that scenario what are our key targets here okay we're not going to get probably radio one playlist because the reality is we don't have the monthlies we don't have the profile of those other artists but we could get some spot plays so you've got the specialist shows on the evenings of like annie mac whatever that would be a target you're on 620 million monthly listeners at the moment let's get to a million like a million monthly listeners, which is totally doable. Because if you bear in mind, you've got things like New Music Friday. If you get New Music Friday, that's got, you know, and and there's a million other editorial playlists. I just use that as an example. That's got however many hundreds of thousands of um, followers, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, if you get a reasonable position, you're probably going to pick up a a hundred, maybe 200,000 monthlies at Joseph's level. So let's try and get to a million monthly listeners. And then all of a sudden you've got this sort of like, you've got this, this, this array of things here. You're like, right, with, with, with the next sort of six to 12 months, where we are right now, because obviously, you know, we want to be on the 20 million monthly. Mm. We want to be on Radio 1A list. We want to, all of those things are absolutely targets and we want to achieve those. But at the moment, you do a sort of, you do a snapshot market analysis of where you are in comparison to, you know, perhaps your peers. And then you think of, right, our targets are a million monthly listeners, at least a handful of spot plays on the Radio 1, specialist shows, the Animax, whatever. Um, and then it can be something else like, you know, we'd like to get a great sync with somebody. You know, Joseph's typically done quite well in sync. Um, so, you know, one great brand deal, 
that we feel like or or a feature you know let's 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 get a good feature with a good act you know there's a there's a million of million great acts out there you know the disclosures of the world camel fat um you know wh- whoever is out there at the moment that's really doing something interesting and you feel like would add a a dimension to your your profile let's let's target somebody and let's try and you know create something with somebody write a record that works for somebody and us and let's try and get that so then you've got this sort of you know this this this, this spitball target so let's go for a million monthly spot plays a great feature and one great branding deal or one great sync that we feel like will give us a really good well-rounded uh profile for the next 12 mm-hmm. months and then i think you probably aim to try and make sure all of those happen obviously but if you're falling short of those you can then pinpoint you know the areas that you know why why have why yeah. has that not happened what could we have done more to make that happen what did we do that made us you know why why didn't we get that branding deal why didn't we get that sync you know what what why did that person get it what was it about that record that worked for them and you can do a little bit of a breakdown but i think for me it's always aspirational but realistic yeah targets and expectations and making them relevant as well mm. you know i think everyone can set the stars as their their goal and you know we, we we all want to get there but there's a few rungs of the ladder we need to get up first before yeah. we get to that point you know and i guess and i mean that, that's why i would and do. i guess as well is constant communication so it's communicating with yeah. them all the time and then making sure that you know both both parts are, are going on the same direction and, and that everyone's working to to make sure that that goal has been achieved. Yeah, exactly. And also, you know, communication, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Constant communication yeah. is key because, you know, if you're, you know, if, if it's clear to you six months into a 12-month campaign that one of the targets you've hit is still going to be, you know, I say unachievable or you're still a million miles away, you know, readjust it, you know, okay, look, this looks like it's unrealistic right now. Um, Let's aim for this because I think we can get, you know, we can get there because, you know, there's something psychological about hitting a landmark as well about, you know, even if, even if you brought that million monthly target down to 750, you know, but then you hit the 750 wicked. We achieved that. That feels like a win um now let's put the target back up to a million you know so like the constant communication constant reassessment and constant analysis of where you're at and what you're doing mm-hmm. um and also adjusting those things accordingly i think all ties into the expectation management because you need a few wins you know we're, we're only human we need to feel like there's been at least some successes yeah. along the way to, to to you know to keep that level of motivation you know after a while i think it can be quite demoralizing if you've got these you know targets that just seem like they're never ending and it's a the end of a you know a never-ending tunnel um so yeah i I think the constant communication and reassessment as well is key yeah and do you think that this is a good time for for creators in general so both um you know whether they're established or whether they are uh, um joseph stage or even smaller ones so is it in your opinion is it a good time for anyone that's looking to you know release an album an ep a single whatever it is is it a good time for them? Yes and yes and no. Yes and yes and no. Yes is caveated in that if we, you know, everyone I'm talking to at the moment is sort of like, oh, I'm just so ready for this year to be over. Like, roll on next year now. I don't know what they think is going to happen on the first of January, mm-hmm. um, but like, you know, the yes is caveated in that we get back to some level of normality because I think there's very few. 
you know, I've got friends who work in live, for example, and I guess they're not necessarily, you know, some of them are, but um, they will have been off for a year. You know, they will have had a year off work on furlough or whatever. Um, when else, you know, in our, even in, you know, in our, the generation, our parents' generation, you know, when else do you get that opportunity to sort of, and I, and I use an opportunity, you know, to try and put like a sort of positive spin on it, but when else do you get that opportunity to just shut the door, you know, lock in and just focus on something that you're passionate about? You know, you don't have to go, you know, there's, I'm sure people will want to go to work, but you can't right now in certain scenarios, you know, creators perhaps who are, you know, the, 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 the beginning levels of careers, they might have another job, right. You know, that they have to go to that gets in the way of their creative exercise that gets in the way of their passion, but you know, they need to pay the bills. Yeah. If they're in a situation where they're locked away, you know, when, when else are you going to get the opportunity to just focus on what it is that you want to do guilt-free, nothing's happening in the world, nothing's open. You know, it's almost like you've been given this, there was a, oh, I forget what it was called. There was a, there's a program when I was a kid and he had a clock and he used to press a little stopwatch and the world would stop. Oliver's Watch or something, I can't remember what it's called. But he, it, was a, it was a TV program, it was a kid's, kid's show. And this guy, he had this little stop clock. When he repressed the stop clock, the world around him would stop and he could just carry on and do whatever. It's almost like you've, the world has hit the stop clock at the moment and everyone can just delve into their creative exercise and their practice guilt-free with as much time as they want. So uh, yes for that, um, assuming that at some point the world goes back to some level of normality and that time uh, energy investment can be you know, capitalised on and you can let it out into the world. I think I'd, I'd, I'd say no in the sense that it's a very isolating time for a lot of people and creativity for me often is a collaborative experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I, especially in the, the job that I do, you're more guiding, honing creativity. You know, I'd like to consider, I'd like to say that I'm a creative person, but I am not the creator in the relationships that yeah. I have with people. You know, I, I, I will often have a, a, a an overseeing abstracted perspective and you know when someone's bogged in the middle of it like, oh, have you tried that what about if we tried this route you know but i'm not doing the physical creation there i'm just you know guiding and honing um so i think you know zoom sessions are great and these things are amazing via zoom and they work really well but i don't if you've, i don't know if you've ever tried to do a zoom writing session which we've done a few of these over the last few yeah, months where you that. have a you know a producer yeah in one room they work right yeah. they work but the it's it's not quite the same you know there isn't necessarily like a vibe in the room you're not all there singing to you know it's there's this sort of like mechanical technological mm. interface in the middle of the creativity um so i think you know for for, for that reason people need to be able to bounce off somebody you need to be able to have someone to to lift your spirits you know if you're sometimes you can go into a writing session and you're not feeling great but the the writer that you're working with that day is having you know just brings this exuberant joy with them that's infectious and takes over the room you can't necessarily get that through a computer screen yeah um so i think it's, it's it's positive in the sense that people are getting time opportunities to to focus but i'd say the negative is that actually the 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 physical collaborative side of it is 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 void at the minute and i think as long as that comes back and people can capitalize on having used the opportunity then then yes it is but i guess that was a very twofold answer i don't know if that's what you're looking for (laughs) no i think you know it's 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 a very very fair point um i do yeah i do agree that exact same thing so um i agree with the fact that there's the need of of you know having that 
collaboration and instant feedback that you get from being in the studio. And not mm. just that, it's just the, the fact that it, it's always a bit more difficult to build a relationship over, the, over a screen, right? And when you're writing mm. a track and yeah, you're collaborating yeah. and stuff like this, you're essentially making yourself vulnerable to someone else. Um, and so mm. it's much easier to build that sort of relationship of trust, especially when you, if you're doing one of these like speed dating sessions, like you mentioned, uh, it's so yeah, much easier yeah. if you're in the room. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question about your uh, musical background. So, Please, yeah. um, so you started more as a musician, right? Yeah. And what was your instrument? Just out of curiosity. So um, I, I always used to play bass guitar in bands and stuff when I was a kid. And I went to uh, music college when I was 16 to do um, a, a, a core music course. It was, it was like a B-Tech, like yeah. A-level equivalent, but it was core music. So it was more classically focused. It was like sort of, um, you know, SATB, you know, scoring, um, you know, oral skills, you know, like listening to mm. you know, very, 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 very music theory, classical yeah. focused course. And I absolutely loved it. And then I decided that I wanted to do a classical music BA, uh, the, the degree. Um, but where I was, was one of these, it's called a music conservatoire. There's like seven, there's like, you know, Royal Northern, Leeds yeah. College of Music, Trinity Guildhall. Um, and they wouldn't let me do the classical music degree with a bass guitar. And I guess for obvious reasons, in hindsight, at the, at the time it felt like it was, you know, whatever. But I've, I'm, I'm from originally Sheffield, which has got lots of like mining, colliery, brass yes. bands. So I was always also playing the tuba. Um, completely randomly, just as like a fun thing to do. Um, but then when they wouldn't let me take my bass guitar onto the classical music course, I said, well, what about my tuba? And obviously they jumped at the chance because it's a mm. classical instrument. They could, they're, they're basically trying to form a, a chamber orchestra yeah. with every year's intake. Um, so then come graduate level or, you know, become, come university level, suddenly I was, you know, a, a tuba player. The bass guitar was sort of on the, on the back burner for a minute. And, um, and then I just started playing with like loads of different orchestras mm. and just loved it. So then from then throughout my undergrad and my postgrad, I was like very much tuba player, orchestral, classical music focused. So was there ever, you know, being from Sheffield, you've Great, but Arctic Monkeys, While She Sleeps, uh, Bring Me a Horizon. Mm. Oh, I love the references. Um, a great choice. Bring Me the Horizon. There's lots of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so was there ever, from your, you know, think back when you were in your teens and early 20s, was there ever a conflict within yourself when you were living the music side of things to move on to the corporate side of music? Was there ever that sort of conflict of like, oh, I'm going to stop having that sort of, you know, um, I, I lost my opportunity to be, to build a new Arctic Monkeys? Or, or was it quite a natural process for you? Mm, it was, I guess I'd moved away because, you know, if, if, if I would continued playing the bass guitar, yeah, which, I, you know, there, there, there's these weird sort of... Um, lines i guess or divisions in music where you have um certain spaces that don't necessarily integrate with each other very often and like you know that's that's the sort of if you think about the classical world of music right you know orchestral players you know the lso or all, all, all these different um 
musical organizations that are focused in, in, in that space. You know, very rarely do they cross over into the sort of the commercial pop yeah. music space. Unless you get something like, you know, Pete Tong did like the um, Garage Classics. I don't know if you've seen it. There's like a B or Ibiza Classics in the Royal Albert Hall. So we had a Jules Buckley and the Heritage Orchestra basically orchestrate a load of what, like Café Del Mar, like loads of really big old like Ibiza tunes. Um, they've done the same thing with some Garage tunes. You get those sorts of collabs. Uh, I remember Nero, you know, the dubstep producer Nero, yes. um, he did, he did a big orchestral thing in Manchester, but it's almost like an event that it happens, you know, mm. it's almost like, oh my God, there's an orchestra and some popular music, you know, like the integration is almost like an event in itself because it doesn't happen so often. So I guess if I'd have kept, you know, down the, the bass guitar route, I probably would have felt, you know, I've missed my opportunity to be the next Arctic Monkeys because, it, you know, I, I would have got to a certain level, I guess, you know, I know the guys that were on the pop course, for example, you know, the, 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 the conservatoires do a jazz degree, a classical degree and a pop degree. Mm-hmm. You know, the guys that were on the pop degree, for example, they were all forming bands and they were all, you know, doing doing their thing. I wasn't doing that because I was on the classical yeah. course. I was playing in orchestras and then you would do, you know, our day out was depping with the Halle or like the uh, the LSO or something, you know, you go and do days with those. Um, so my, you know, pop music court, I guess corporate music, whatever you want to call it, that sort of the the, the industry side, never really married up with my creative musical side at that at that point you know there is a very distinct difference between what the music industry you know use john for example john newman you know he was on the pop course when i was at uni We, we lived together we were housemates or whatever but then he went off and had a pop career based off i guess what he'd learned and his experience you know i wasn't going to go off and start being the next Arctic Monkeys with my tuba, you know, it was, it just, it would have, it, you know, it would have, I, I guess there are bands out there that do have those sorts of instruments in, but it just, it just wasn't a thing. So it, it didn't really feel like a missed opportunity. It just felt like um, that was the way in which I was going to get into the space. And I, you know, like I said, I'm very OCD. I love a spreadsheet. I'm very organized. I like the business side of things as well. So actually knowing that, you know, I'd got to a certain point with 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 my creative musical output. Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, I could have potentially gone down the orchestral route, you know, try to be the principal tuba player of the LSO or something, but that wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. So doing the manager taking the managerial route and going down that path was more yeah. a case of it was just flexing a different side of the brain, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and but still in music, still creative, still interesting, but I guess it was just for me, the two didn't marry yeah. at the time. You know, it just felt like two very different worlds, and I was just dipping in and out of both of them. Cool. No, really, really insightful, man. And that's the end of our chat. Um, just around this time is when Tom and I realized that we had actually never really started the interview officially. But hey, here it is. It's uh, insights from a very experienced artist manager. And um, that's the end of our show. We're going to take a little break for Christmas time. So do join us again in the new year. We'll announce the dates when next episodes will be available. Until then, enjoy the rest of your year. Take care and see you soon.